we're going to um, continue what we started last week. Last week I preached on identifying destructive habits. And at the end of service, I told you that we would have a chance to discuss practically how we can overcome destructive habits. And I have sitting with me uh, someone who has been a mentor, a life coach, not only to me, but to Beth. Uh, I don't trust anyone more than Dr. David Wally. And what he's known for in this community is there is a jewel we have known as the Bab Center. Uh, Many years ago, David started that before there was a building, uh, hired all of the many, many uh, counselors that are involved in it now. And just a couple of years ago, he uh, resigned that and now is in private practice in Nashville where uh, he deals with individual clients but also uh, helps corporations and businesses. And he's a writer and he's just a fantastic guy. Can you guys please welcome Dr. David Wally? Thank you. And part of our discussion today, you're going to be part of it. We have an opportunity for you as I unfold this interview for you to submit your questions via text messages. Uh, These questions will come to your phone and we will not uh, display your phone number or your name whatsoever. But what we'll do is just the content of what you text. If you have a question for Dr. Wally, uh, those that we can get to uh, will share with everyone not who you are, but what the question is. And Dr. Wally will have a chance to um, share that with you. Well, I wanted to start off, uh, David, to give you a chance uh, to tell a little bit of your biographical sketch, your biographical story. Uh, you know, I, I know this, you were, you, you were raised in Mississippi and how that experience uh, brought you into the field that you're involved in now. I'll tell you that. I, I'd like to steal a minute to say... Um, as genuinely as I can, that I, I'm really happy to be here with Aaron and Beth. I, I, not just paying the compliment back, I, I love them dearly. They are friends, and um, it's a privilege to be here with them. And uh, thank you to this worship band. That was amazing. I understand there was a 15-year-old young man who was up there for the first time, and uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, that, that was wonderful. And uh, some sweet, dear soul prayed for me this morning, and I, I felt like I'd been prayed for for the rest of my life. Uh, it was amazing, and, and I'm really grateful for that. I was born and raised in Mississippi, and um, uh, I'm 55, so I'm not going to take you through all 55 years, but I, I was raised in the, the home of a, a United Methodist pastor. And um, <clears throat> I jokingly say that I became an accidental therapist. Um, I, my dad was always very interested in this field, and I became interested because he was, and because I, I think there were our, our not only our family but extended family had trouble with health, relational health, and. I think I went into this field to sort of learn what that looked like um, and how to become healthy. And um, I I went that way via a degree in music, which I don't know how that happened. Um, (laughs) I have no explanation for that other than I didn't know what I was doing. I went to seminary and did my work in um, counseling and psychology and... um, 
worked for uh, one of the most wonderful churches I ever worked for, uh, which was First Baptist Church of New Orleans, um, which is just an amazing place. I left there and spent a couple of years at a publishing agency now known as Lifeway and traveled quite a bit as a consultant doing this kind of stuff, training people how to uh, understand health versus dysfunction and um, those kinds of things, and then spent 15 years at First Baptist Church Hendersonville where I uh, was the director of the Bab Center and... um, and then served as a co-pastor of a church plant, uh, which got started in East Nashville and then needed a job. So, <laughs> and you say you hear all these incredible credentials that, no, 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 that Dr. Wally has, but uh, that I asked him to share with you. But I love what he does for his local church now. Uh-uh. Tell him what you do. <laughs> I work with four-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and I like the fact that they call me David, which is what I prefer, okay, if you David. don't mind. I stand um, corrected. And four-year-olds will say anything, as you know, and I'm keeping record of those things. Well, and They're I great. love that because with all of his uh, great ministry credentials is the fact that his new church, he volunteers with our four-year-olds. I just want to say this is that. We need our best leaders with our kids. So, David, thank you for modeling that. And I know there's a group of uh, disappointed four-year-olds this morning, but we're <laughs> thrilled that you're here. Well, you have, uh, you've worked with all types of different people, and one of the things that happens in the church is we come to the church and everyone's happy. Everyone's cheerful. We have our happy songs, and we often project the image that we all have it together. So with that in mind, um, what type of people have problems? What type of people have destructive habits? Is there a certain stereotype? Because I think a lot of times people feel isolated in the church thinking everyone else has it together, but not them. I think that there's a tendency to think that uh, we are the only ones because we happen to feel shame about uh, what we feel addicted to or habituated to or um, drawn to. Um, But the short answer to your question, which I think is the best answer, is that there is no stereotype. It's not the exceedingly poor or the exceptionally wealthy. Um, It could be the person sitting to your left or to your right, or it could be you. Um, It's happening increasingly in the church. I was asked a question earlier uh, in the service, uh, in the first service, and I'll go ahead and say this. One of the most common addictions that we're seeing in the church today is the addiction to pornography. It's growing by leaps and bounds. And um, so there is no stereotypical person who is. So, is there, is, are you seeing a big difference between things church going people deal with and people who we consider unchurched? Um. I really wish I could answer that question more intelligently, because, but I don't study those populations. Um, I, I think that we see generally the same addictions inside the church as we do outside the church. I think that we might see them um, done differently um, or more discreetly. Um, but I think we probably, on the whole, see relatively much, uh, pretty much the same addictions. Well, I see you have a Bible sitting in your lap. 
you're a pastor's kid. You and I have discussed scripture at length. So I know you have a very high value to scripture in the word of God. Um, one of the things that happened is in the church, and I've been, I, I've dealt with this as I've walked through problems with people. Sometimes people uh, will not look outside the scripture for any reason and, and for good, good reasoning in that because the scripture is no doubt our highest authority. But how does the use of scripture relate to some of the issues you deal with, some of the issues you see Christians dealing with, some of the destructive habits people are connected to? Well, I think when we look at um, why people become addicted, there, there are lots of things. People become addicted to painkillers and they didn't expect to, or people become addicted to drugs they didn't know were addictive. Um, but when we look at the vast majority of uh, the addictions or the habituations that people have, we're not talking about those people. Those aren't the people we're talking about. We're talking about people with um, problems that are far more, um, ha have far more of a history than that. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Something we uh, didn't necessarily talk much about last service, but I'd like to talk about this time is a, a passage in Matthew 17, uh, verse 14. It's a... It's an uncomfortable passage. It's a, a passage uh, that we often compare with verse 13. Uh, verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and broad, and the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And then it says, But the gate is narrow, or the, the gate is small, and it's hard, and there are few people who will find it. One of the things that... Um, I see happening in the world today is lot, a lot of people will say um, they'll come into offices like mine and they will be engaged in, in behaviors that I wouldn't describe to you. I wouldn't want to say them in front of your children. I wouldn't want to say them in front of your wives. And then they'll, the next thing is they'll say, well, I'm a Christian. And all of you would say, well, that doesn't fit Christian behavior. And so for me, the, the question is not, are you a Christian, but are you Christian? Hmm. Um, okay. It's easy to wear a title. It's really hard to live the life. When you study this passage, it's not, there, there are three things you learn from this passage. The way is narrow, the way is hard, and few people find it. That's going to become important later when we talk about what I'm about to talk about. Um, there are many people, many people, um, widely respected writers who write on this subject, and I'll try to be as brief as I possibly can because this could be an entire weekend seminar, and we have a very short time to do this. There, there are people like Alice Miller. There are people like Larry Crabb. There are people like Brennan Manning. There are people like Parker Palmer who write about the early years of our life when we are most like the way that we were designed to be. This brings us to a passage in Proverbs 22.6. I want to be really careful here because many of you have devoted much of your lives to Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, 
He won't depart from it. Um, Most of us have been taught this passage to mean things like make sure the child knows right from wrong, make sure he has good friends, make sure you teach him to go to church and obey his parents and do the right things. The problem is it's not what the passage means. And many of you have done that and your children have turned out well. But some of you have done that and you're wondering why your children have not turned out well. The passage literally translated out of the Hebrew says, Create an environment for life according to this child's bent. Listen to that. Create an environment for life according to this child's bent. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It's not talking about his bent towards sin. God's not going to tell you to create an environment for life according to your child's sin bent. It's talking about the gifts, the, the design, God's thumbprint on this child. If you have more than one child, you know that God didn't create two alike. The biggest joke that God ever played on us as parents was we had our first child and finally figured it out. Right. <laughs> number two came along and we thought, we've got this down. And number two was go. Number two came along and what worked with number one didn't work with number two. So then number three came along and we thought, okay, one of these will work. And neither of them worked. Right. Because he didn't have a bent like either of the first two. Wow. Wow. The problem is. We spend most of our lives unknowingly trying to make these children work into a bent that we've created for them. You have to do this. And what happens is they lose the bent that they were most designed for. It's much deeper than we have time to go into. As this relates to destructive habits... What do you hear uh, from people who have destructive habits in their life? There's something in common that relates to that. The thing that I hear most is, I don't have a clue who I am. Wow. I hear that more than anything else. I don't have a clue who I am. I hear that from a lot of people who aren't addicted. But most people who are addicted spend a lot of their time um, covering... The fact that they don't know who they are. Hmm. Most of these people who've had to become someone else to fit into a plan have lost sight of who they are. And so addiction is a symptom. Addiction is not the problem. If you're addicted to pornography, pornography is not the problem. If you're addicted to food, food is not your problem. It's what's driving you. To accept pornography as a substitute for what God gave you as a gift in your life. It's powerful. The same with food. So we've learned to accept substitutes. Right. Because we don't believe we're worth the real thing. We don't believe that we're capable of the good thing, the real thing. But the scriptures have told us. Clearly, that we are created uh, in God's image and that we are uh, put into the world to live out the image of God. And yet we 
accept the image of the world as our lifestyle. And so much of what addiction is about is we're choosing everything but God as a way to live our life, and it's not going to work. It It hasn't worked for me, and I've tried it. It hasn't worked for me. It's not going to work for you. It doesn't work for anybody. Well, let's, let's jump into some of the questions that have been submitted. Let's see the first one. Well, I've never, I don't know how our, our, but our, uh, our behavior patterns, are they genetically set or are they mostly learned? Our behavior patterns, are they genetically set or are they mostly learned? Well, that's a question that my field has been arguing for years. <laughs> and um, if somebody knows the answer to that, you'll become the wealthiest writer in, in my field. <laughs> uh, it's the argument of tabula rasa. Are we born um, with no predispositions or are we born with predis- predispositions that can't be changed? And my answer to that is that we are born with predispositions that God has placed in our makeup. We are not born with genetic predispositions that cause us to sin. God has, the scripture says that we are tempted, but God has made a way. We are not genetically predisposed to sin in a way that we have to sin. Well, Talking about that, this whole using the term addiction, when is it addiction and when is it sin? Is that getting muddy in the church? Because we can attach, I'm addicted to college football, I'm addicted to uh, Starbucks, or, and, and sometimes we can translate that to things that the Bible have called sin. We're, we're push back on that a little bit. Where, where is the line on that? Where do you want it to be? Okay. <laughs> um, technically, addiction. Technically, according to doctors that I've spoken to, and I'm not a medical doctor, addiction is when your body has been given certain chemicals or um, has, and there may be doctors in the room who could straighten me out on this, uh, but my understanding is that uh, when your body has been given certain chemicals over a certain period of time and become accustomed to them, and then you suddenly cut those off, your body goes, oh, no, you're not going to give me those things and then take them away. I like that. Like my son had to take a medication the other day for something. I don't remember what it was. And it made him feel really good. (laughs) And he says, I like this too much. And he said, I understand how people could become drug addicts. And I said, yeah, don't like this. Don't like this too much. But addiction, when your body, you take it away from your body, your body says to you, no, that's not acceptable, and you're going to throw up, or you're going to have a seizure, or your body's going to make you pay for it. Um, What we typically refer to as addiction is often just dependency. We really want it badly. Um, we feel like we can't live without it. But we, we talk about things like sex addiction. But if you don't engage in that kind of activity, your body's not going to have a convulsion. You're not going to throw up. 
It's not the same kind of addiction. We, we use that term loosely a lot. So dependency is often confusing, confusing with the term addiction. But now from a Christian perspective, it's what a stronghold. A stronghold, yes. Yeah. And what are we supposed to be dependent upon? Just Jesus Christ, right. not in anything, whether it be food or, or pornography or whatever the case is, alcohol. Right. Okay. We have another question. Let's see. I, I am breaking through sexual habits. Do you have an encouraging word to strengthen my spirit? Yes, you are breaking through, and God is on your side, and he wants you free more than you want to be free. Amen. He wants your freedom more than you want your freedom. If you are breaking through, keep doing what you're doing. All right. One, um, one of the things the church has provided in the past uh, that that has been a response to bad habits is accountability groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in accountability groups. Uh, they have been helpful, but you have a word of caution about accountability groups. Even though we like them, mm-hmm. and even though they have some benefit, talk to us about some of the, uh, some of the I guess, uh, weak spots of accountability groups. Yeah, let me say this quickly. Accountability, uh, healthy accountability is a good part of any process of healing from addiction. It's built into any good um, healing process, freedom process from accountability. What a lot of people try to do is have an accountability relationship and expect that to be what frees them from an addiction. And what happens in a lot of accountability, and Larry Crabb called our attention to this, what began happening in a lot of accountability groups was people were asking accountability questions, but... um, a person could answer the accountability questions and not tell the truth. So they started saying, did you lie to me in your answers to any of these accountability questions? That's the last question, right? Uh, as the last question. Yeah. And so a person would even say, yes, I did. Well, after a while, what happens is you realize that what's, what's happening is you're not building relationships. This is accountability, but accountability is not becoming an intimate spiritual relationship, which we were designed for. We were not designed for isolation. Isolation is what feeds addiction. That's probably something you want to tattoo across your forehead. Isolation feeds addiction. We're designed for relationships. And... um, a lot of accountability relationships don't turn into healthy, adult, appropriate, spiritual, mature, intimate relationships. They actually just sort of die off after a while. And it's one of the dangers of because accountability they're, they're, they're if based it's not off, built into something like I guess the relationship is based off you answering the questions right. It's based off just the questions right it's not based on relationship with a person and more let's look at it's not we get in trouble let's look at the next question or one of the questions that are submitted are destructive habits demonic if so what is the role of spiritual healing um i think that the word that um my mind immediate or my eyes immediately go to is demonic um i don't know what you mean I don't know what you mean by demonic but I would say any destructive habit is anti-Christ 
Um, God did not design us to be involved in destructive habits. Um, there is nothing in Scripture that supports uh, our involvement in destructive habits. Um, if what you're saying is a, a demon has taken you over um, and that demon is causing you to do destructive habits, um, then I don't know where we're going to go theologically with this, but I will tell you this. I personally do not believe that a Christian can be possessed by a demon. Where the, We just sang this morning, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of God is, there is healing. How can a demon coexist with the liberty there is with the Spirit of God? How can the Spirit of God fill you up and a demon reside in that place? Do demons... Um, uh, what would be another good word? Oppress, maybe. Pardon? Some, some people use the word oppress. Not oppress? Us. Do demons oppress us? I believe in that realm, and I believe that they oppress us. But for a believer, a, a born-again Christian, I don't believe that our destructive habits are caused by possession by demons. Okay, I, I think you answered that well. Okay. Yeah, there is. I, I think sometimes it's a terminology issue um, that that some would say you can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed, and uh, and I certainly think uh, bad vocabulary leads to bad theology. So I think that is one of the cases where where vocabulary is important. Uh, but we know this is that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to respect else. the question. I'm just I, I don't. I don't, I'm not sure how the word yeah, is you know, I think that that was adequately answered for the setting. Let's see what else we have. What can the church do better to create an environment, environment where people can break free of habits? Well, that's, that's one thing. Um, that's great. That's a great, great question. And, and even uh, as I'm watching the clock here, if you want to... Um, if you want to kind of blend into a predetermined question about first steps, I think both of those could blend in okay. together. Um, I think one of the things that the church can do better uh, to, uh, to use this person's language to create an environment where people can be free of habits is to create an environment where a person having a bad habit does not mean that they should carry shame. That's good. There's probably, there's probably not a person in this room that's willing to name every habit they have. Um, one of the things that the church should be is a place where we are at liberty to be our most honest selves. Now, the danger is... You don't have to be your most honest self with every single human being. But one of the things that happened, I know in my lifetime, is prayer meeting became kind of a gossip uh, opportunity. You would leave prayer meeting and say, did you know that so-and-so left her husband? Did you know that so-and-so had an affair? And... That, that's not what those things were told for. Those things were told to be brought before the throne of God. 
It was God's help that was needed. And so I think when a church becomes a place where a person can say, I have fallen prey to an addiction. I have allowed myself to do this. And people come around them with support and prayer and encouragement. What can I do to help you rather than shame and keeping distance? Um, the church will become a healing community. And a lot of churches aren't healing communities right now. I don't say that in judgment. I say that as assessment. If we want to be the body of Christ that really changes the world, we've got to take a look at ourselves because we, I have people who say to me, I would never go to the church. I've tried to talk to people at church and I've been blackballed. And you could say they're cynical, but they're really hurting. And this is the place where they need to be nurtured, not made fun of. Yeah, well, um, I know there's other questions that have been submitted. We didn't get to all of them in the first service. And, and David and I will discuss maybe other avenues we can answer that, whether it's as simple as a blog or having him back again in another setting. Uh, but what can you just... Uh, there, there's two different things I want you to share. Just very quickly, what are some first steps if, if people are identifying both through last week's message and our discussion this morning, destructive habits, what's a first step that they could take? Yeah, let me do this quickly. Um, I, I think like, like you hear often with uh, many organizations, you, you first have to acknowledge uh, I'm addicted or I'm I've developed a habit I can't stop now. You have to admit that this is going on. This is something you admit to God and then you admit to a person that you trust. And then you have to take some steps. And one of those steps is there are some great groups out there. The Y has some great stuff, Journey to Freedom. Um, uh, there are some Celebrate Recovery groups. Uh, there are groups like Teen Challenge. I don't know if you know that Teen Challenge goes way beyond the teen years. It's not just for teenagers. They do require a year of your life, but it gets you through all of the anniversaries of the things that you've done. Um, and uh, about groups, I just want to say this as, as an important statement. A group is only as good as the integrity of the people leading them. Celebrate Recovery is not good just because somebody's offering Celebrate Recovery. It's only as good as the people who are offering it. And let me just say that here in Hendersonville, since you don't live here anymore, um, Long Hollow Baptist, GodY.com, and uh, Community Church offer Celebrate Recovery. And so those are just avenues there. But also I ask you to, I know your card is available at the Information Center. You kind of brought that reluctantly, but... uh, Private practice plays a role too, right? Don't, don't hesitate to get um, individual counseling. Uh, there, I know there's a stigma. A lot of people feel a stigma about individual counseling. And I've had, I've had people come up to me and say this, and I, I know that what this is going to sound like, but I've had, people, I've had pastors say to me, yeah, I don't send people to counselors. There are a lot of crazy counselors out there. And I said, well, I don't send people to pastors. There are a lot of crazy pastors out there. <laughs> um, 
the truth is there are some there are some weird counselors out there. There are some weird people in almost every uh, profession out there. Um, but it's not hard to find uh, a good, reliable uh, counselor if what you want to do is work through this. And it's one of the best ways to get uh, help tailor-made to your particular situation. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to do that. Well, time's getting away from us. So uh, I want you just to, to close our time together. And you and I, I know your heart. I know how much you love Jesus. You've been a pastor before. And that's why we're here. We're here because of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say about destructive habits? Well, if I could just tell a really quick story. Uh, Some of you have read uh, or heard Matt Chandler preach. Um, I've heard him preach a a few times. Um, He was, he's a very young pastor. He's been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, God seems to be healing him of that. Matt Chandler tells a a time when he was in college and um, he and some of his friends met a young woman who was coming back to college. So she was older than they were. She was 27. She had a child. She admitted to them, having no clue who they were, that uh, she was very sexually active and um, that had always been a part of her uh, adult life. And um, they just sort of screwed up the courage to invite her to a concert at their church. And um, uh, he said the concert was great. And then the pastor stood up and said he was going to be preaching about sex tonight. And uh, he kind of got a pit in his stomach. And um, he said the pastor started preaching what was the worst sermon on that subject he had ever heard in his life. And it sort of went like this. This pastor held up a rose and he was, he was talking about how, rose, how wonderful roses feel and how wonderful they smell. And it was so wonderful he wanted everybody to have an opportunity uh, with the rose. And so he passed it around among the two or 3,000 people that were there. And, and then he began to talk about, he compared that rose to a young woman, you know, a, a young, pure woman who then began to uh, become impure through sexual relationships with other people. And then he asked for the rose back after a few minutes. He even indicated what it would be like if this woman had contracted certain specific sexual uh, uh, transmitted diseases. He got the rose back, and after it had been through the hands of a couple thousand people, I mean, the stem was broken, the... The whole rose had collapsed and some of the petals were bent over. And he held it up and he yelled at the congregation, Who would want this? And Matt Chandler said, I wanted with everything in me to say, Jesus would want that. Jesus would want that. This is not about clinical healing of addictions. It's about the fact that we're all dirty and we can't get clean. It's about the fact that no matter how dirty we are, Jesus wants us. Yeah. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. He wants your freedom more than you've ever wanted to be free.
and we keep finding that hole in our heart and we keep plugging other things in there. And he just wants to make his way in there and fill you up. And when he satisfies you, there is nothing you will want more than him. Mm. Nothing. That's so good. So good, David. Thank you so much. Can you give him a hand of appreciation? Love you, buddy. Well, so many good things were said, but nothing as powerful as the end. Jesus, Jesus wants every single one of you. He wants all of us. He loves us so much. Can I pray with you? Father, we've heard.